When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode of Trumpcast is brought to you by Me Undies. Me Undies make the world's most comfortable underwear in a variety of styles. Head to meundies.com/trumpcast to get 20% off your first order as well as free shipping. You retweeted an unflattering picture of her next to a picture of your wife. I didn't start it. Oh, but that's, I didn't uh, start sir, it. With all due respect, that's the argument of a five-year-old. Anytime he gets upset, anytime he gets threatened, anytime he gets scared, he begins yelling, he begins often cursing. Welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who doesn't even know that America First was once the slogan of America's fascists. I'm Jacob Weisberg. So I don't know about you, but I spent the weekend watching the drama in the Republican Party. Who would endorse Trump? Who wouldn't? And what would Trump and his minions do to the people who weren't ready in Paul Ryan's terms? The Republicans look to me like a party in crisis, a party that might even come to the end in the not-too-distant future. To talk about that today, I've got one of the sharpest students and critics of the American right, Jonathan Chait of New York Magazine. I'll be back with him right after we do the tweets. I hope corrupt Hillary Clinton chooses goofy Elizabeth Warren as her running mate. I will defeat them both. Let's properly check goofy Elizabeth Warren's records to see if she is Native American. I say she's a fraud. Goofy Elizabeth Warren, Hillary Clinton's flunky, has a career that is totally based on a lie. She's not Native American. Goofy Elizabeth Warren and her phony Native American heritage are on a Twitter rant. She's too easy. I'm driving her nuts. Goofy Elizabeth Warren is weak and ineffective. Does nothing. All talk. No action. Maybe her Native American name? Today's episode is brought to you by Me Undies. Whether you're trying to find the best place for a taco bowl or just throwing some Trump steaks on the grill at a family barbecue or attending a Miss Universe pageant, you need to feel good in your underwear. That's why there's Me Undies. Every pair of MeUndies is made from sustainably sourced modal, a fabric that's twice as soft as cotton. Nothing can quite describe the fit and feel of MeUndies, but once you try them on, you'll understand why they're called the world's most comfortable underwear. And if you don't love your first pair of MeUndies, they're free, no questions asked. MeUndies has dozens of styles and limited edition prints to help you make a statement with your underwear. Shipping is free in the U.S. and Canada, and you can save $8 a pair with the MeUndies subscription plan. Get the subscription or a single pair and get 20% off your first order when you go to MeUndies.com slash Trumpcast. That's MeUndies.com slash Trumpcast for 20% off your first order. And remember, 
MeUndies.com slash Trumpcast. My guest today is Jonathan Chait. He writes the political column at New York Magazine. John, welcome to Trumpcast. Thank you very much. So I thought it'd be good to have you on to just bring us up to date on the big picture. We had this crazy weekend where everyone was talking about the Republican breakup. And just to start up the discussion, John, do you think the Republican Party is going to break up? No, I don't. I think they've suffered a huge historical accident. That's a failure of party organization. But I don't think it represents a breakup. And the the main evidence for that is that Trump doesn't really represent a wing of the party. He doesn't come from its right or its left. And he's not really ideologically unacceptable to a part of the party. If you look at the fissures that developed within the party throughout the primary, Trump benefited from the fact that he was basically in the center. And by the end, basically, Ted Cruz was on the right and Kasich was on the left. And there was Trump in the center of the party. Um, The problems are all personal. The problems that Republicans have with him are characterological, that they don't know if they can trust him to carry out their agenda if he's elected, and they're they're very confident he won't be elected. And they think that he'll inflict a lot of long-term brand damage on Republicans. But all those problems are just problems related to Donald Trump as an individual, and, and they go away once Trump goes away, which he will after he probably loses in November. So he's just like kidnapped the party, but as soon as he he'll give it back, he has to give it back after the election, and then they're back where they were before. I think that's right. He doesn't have any infrastructure to continue to wield influence on the party, and if he loses, I don't think he'll get the nomination again. And it's hard to see another candidate doing to Republicans what Trump has has done to them, or at least the damage that Trump has done will possibly linger, but there's no action that's going to happen or not happen in the future that the party has to break up over. They may disagree about what happened to them and why, but I think they'll just kind of shamble forward. So let me give you a little bit of the argument on the other side, John. I mean, one is that he's shown there's a huge opportunity around this. um, Martin Wolf called it Pluto populism today, which I thought was a pretty good phrase, but around this sort of nativism, around this sort of raw nerve politics that Trump has exposed. But the other is that he's exposed this gap between what a lot of people who vote Republican think and what the parties stood for. I mean, Trump over the weekend was saying, I mean, among the things he said was that, that, you know, he thought the minimum wage should be higher and that he was probably in favor of higher taxes on the rich. I mean, you said he was sort of neither left nor right. Those in in Republican terms are like super left. So what's going on there? Is he, is that just, I've got the nomination now and I'm, I've got to win votes in the center. So I'm shifting. I think it's a few different things going on at once. On taxes, you know, you have to keep in mind that Republicans have have understood for a long time that cutting taxes for the rich is unpopular. So they've always been navigating the distance between what their financial elite demands and wants and, and what they need to do to get elected. It's not as if Republicans have been running around saying we want to cut taxes for the rich. Mitt Romney said, I've got this tax reform plan. And the analysts said, well, your plan is going to give the rich a big tax cut. He said, oh, no, it won't. And they said, well, yes, it will. And he said, well, you're lying because you're liberals. And George W. Bush did sort of the same thing. You know, you could argue that Trump is just kind of following along, like 
his actual plans to give rich people a huge tax cut. And he says, well, no, I really want rich people to, to pay more. Um, the difference is what I said before here, which is that uh, I think Republicans knew that George W. Bush and Mitt Romney and these other candidates who've done similar things were really on their side and would be with them um, when they had the chance to pass the tax cut plan. And maybe and they don't know Trump so well and they don't have as good a reason to trust his his instincts. But it's kind of the same the same thing. So that's just sort of dog whistle politics to the left, or, the, or it's the opposite of that. Republicans know that it's insincere and they're not worried about it. Or they might be worried that it is sincere, but I don't think it's, and I don't think he's doing anything fundamentally different. I think the only thing that's fundamentally different is they're less confident that Donald Trump is lying to America and telling them the truth, and they're they're perhaps worried that the reverse is taking place. So, John, let's say you're a decent principled Republican. Surely they exist. What do you do in this situation? I mean, say you're John McCain in running for re-election in Arizona. You despise this guy. This guy has personally insulted you. You think he's vile and vicious. But you got to weigh a lot of things. Do you come out against him? What do you do? That's a really good question. And lots of candidates are answering it different ways or trying not to answer it, which is what a lot of them are really trying to do. They're trying to straddle it. Because what they found is their ability to infuriate their base is just so limited. No matter how unreasonable their base's position is, they just can't seem to to tell them to go jump in a lake. And this has just been happening over and over again over so many years. It's obvious that as a long-term matter for the Republican Party, they need to divest themselves as totally as they can from the brand damage that Trump is is leaving them with. And and even for these candidates who have remotely competitive races, and McCain might be one of them, in the general election, you know, being attached to Trump is really going to hurt them. But the problem you have is this is such a polarized country. You need to turn out your base. And if a large chunk of your base, if you're really afraid they're not going to turn out, they can threaten you credibly in your mind and, and you have to go along. Now, I I think, look, ultimately, your base is going to be with you. I think there's more bluff here than, than a lot of these politicians understand. But this is a problem that they, they can't seem to, to get over. It's why they, they make mistake after mistake because they just seem to fear that they really take seriously these threats of not showing up in November. So if you're John McCain, you're worried about losing your base. You're worried that the Trump supporters won't vote for you. But 20-plus percent of the electorate in your state is Latino. And even if you aren't worth counting on a very big share, there's a big difference between getting 28 percent of that vote and getting 3 percent of that vote. And that could be the election. That That's absolutely right. I mean, McCain is, is someone who really who really faces serious problems in the state with, with, with a lot of Latinos and where Republicans need to get a reasonable share of the Latino vote to be competitive. Being a candidate in that position when the person at the top of the ticket is probably more hated by Latinos than anyone possibly in the history of the United States going back, I don't know, <laughs> Andrew Jackson. I mean, re- really, Since right? Before I mean, they like were Latinos, for sure. Right. I mean, I mean, basically ever. So to really answer your question, and not just to give you the one hand and the other hand, if I'm John McCain, I would just say I can't vote for Donald Trump. Donald Trump's a scumbag, and actually just kind of move far, farther to the left and kind of do the you know do the John Kasich thing, where you distance yourself 
significantly from your base and you actually try to win a chunk of the other party's support, you know, kind of go back to the, the image you had in 2000 to, to some degree. I, that seems to me more promising than letting yourself be tied to a Republican brand that might be going down. So let's talk about Paul Ryan. What's what's he playing at? I mean, when he first came out with this statement that he wasn't ready to endorse, I thought, all right, he's going to try to get Trump to agree to some policy stuff. But it didn't really play out that way. I mean, Trump went after him like a maniac. I think the game that Paul Ryan is playing is is about protecting the Republican brand um, and thinking about down ballot and thinking about what happens after this election. But at the same time, understanding that that the party that he builds going forward is going to have to have Trump's voters, that this is a significant share of the Republican Party. He can't win elections without them. He's not going to be able to win elections without them for a long, 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 long time. And that's why I think in the end, he's going to make his peace with Trump. I think the game he's playing is that he wants to be able to force some kind of display of at least a display of contrition, change, reform from Trump so that Ryan could say the old Donald Trump was too obnoxious, was too offensive for me, but the new Donald Trump is more responsible. And that helps the Republican Party. It helps down ticket and it helps Ryan because then Ryan gets to play the role of someone who had some standards of decency that needed to be upheld in order for Trump to win his support. But Ryan wanted a gesture and instead Trump kind of gave him the big middle finger and sicked his dogs on him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, I think the gesture is not so much toward Ryan, but it's just more of a gesture of I'm going to be, you know, less flamboyantly insulting towards minorities and women and, and, and everything else. I'm going to act more like a president than a reality show character. But every time Trump says he's going to do that, it seems to last about 48 hours because he's not, it's, it's, uh, it's characterological. He can't actually restrain himself that way. That, seem, that seems to be the case. But again, you and I know how, how, how political narratives work. I mean, once people, if you can get someone invested, whoever's invested in your narrative can, can just downplay evidence that runs contrary to it and play up evidence that fits in with it. So every time Donald Trump gets through the day without insulting somebody, it's, it's more evidence of the narrative. And when he, when he fails, it's, it's just a brief slip up. So Ryan and Trump both have an interest in compromising and working it out. But what if they don't? I mean, could this, could you see this going the other way where you really have significant leaders in the current Republican Party, including Paul Ryan, and not just retired politicians, taking a stand against Trump and not supporting him? Yes. Yes, that's a great question. And I think that's absolutely a possibility. You're seeing already unprecedented, or at least unprecedented since 1964, levels of resistance within the party establishment of, of members of the Republican Party at high levels saying they can't support the nominee. You know, and, and it certainly could reach some kind of threshold point where that position becomes the default party line and supporting Trump becomes some kind of outlier. outlier. That's what these anti-Trump activists are trying to do. Now, it hasn't been going their way so far, but you know, Ryan's a significant figure and, and Ryan might make that choice. And if, and, and, and if enough people follow his lead, you could see that stance really start to carry the day. I mean, you could... There's nothing that keeps people who have endorsed Trump from disendorsing him later on when they become outraged at something he says or does. In the old days, you always had – there were the Republicans for Johnson and the Democrats for Nixon, and there were these people who crossed party lines. As much as so many of the Republicans are revolted by Trump, 
they all seem to stop short of saying they'll support Hillary. What's that about? And she's, you know, and she agrees on a lot of issues, especially around foreign policy. She's not that far from them. Yeah, I've seen one or two. Uh, Max Boot was an advisor to Marco Rubio in the campaign and has worked for Republicans throughout his career. And he said he'd support Hillary Clinton. I think you're seeing a handful of people who are a little bit more on the margins of politics, but still working in the political game who are saying this. But but you're right. Um, I think polarization is at such a point where today saying I would support the opposite party candidate is just such a threshold identity issue that can't be crossed. It would basically, you'd be wearing that sign around your neck for the rest of your career. You would be so hated by members of your party that there would be a reason not to hire you today in a way that wasn't the case 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. And last question, John, is there anything Democrats can do as the Republicans go through this internal battle? Is there anything they can do to make it worse, which they'd like to do? Or is this just a situation where you get a bag of peanuts and enjoy it? You know, I think I think it's more the latter. I've really had a hope for a long time that uh, somehow this election would represent the culmination of the disintegration of the the Republican Party, of of the party's descent into fanaticism, just reaching this level of consuming its own where some constructive change comes out of it. I've become a little more despondent about that happening. And it, it, it's even possible that the reverse will happen, that the arch conservatives will attribute Trump's loss to his deviations from the Reaganite purity, and they'll become even more extreme afterwards. Um, I think eventually this thing will end. I'm not sure if Trump is going to hasten that, but that, you know, I don't know if there's anything to, to really answer your question. I don't know if there's anything Democrats can actually do to hasten this moment. You know, it would be nice to have some kind of constructive, reasonable, rational, evidence-based second political party in this country. My guest today was Jonathan Chade. If you're not reading his column in New York Magazine, you should be because it's been one of the best running pieces of commentary on the election and on politics generally. Jonathan, thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you so much, Jacob. That's it for today's episode of Trumpcast. The show is produced by Henry Malofsky and Jason DeLeon. Slate's executive producer is Steve Lichtai. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Special thanks to John D. Domenico, our voice of the Donald. I think a lot of Republicans that are holding out are going to end up endorsing Donald Trump. I don't think Lindsey Graham is going to be one of them. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. I fully understand why Lindsey Graham cannot support me. If I got beat as badly as I beat him, and all of the other candidates he endorsed, I would not be able to give my support either. Every time I see Lindsey Graham spew hate during interviews, I ask why the media never questions how I single-handedly destroyed his hapless run for president. As a candidate who did not receive 1% in his own state compared to my victory at nearly 40% with many others in the race. He has zero credibility. He was a poor representative and an embarrassment to the great people of South Carolina. Judging by the incompetent way he ran his campaign, it is easy to see why his military strategies have failed so badly. We can't even beat ISIS. While I will unify the party, Lindsey Graham, 
has shown himself to be beyond rehabilitation. And like the voters who rejected him, so will I. Donald J. Trump.